Fifteen mans on a dead man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink to the devil and we dance to the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Hello, I thought I was uh, recording Fools Daily today. Hello, welcome to another episode. No, you are recording Fools Daily. Ah, oh, I thought I heard some karaoke competition going on. About very bad. I I was bottom. About yo ho ho and a bottle of bum and. And it's not something, bum. something to do with vests and chests and things. If you're going to be silly, then you can just go. <laughs> Hello! Hello! It's me, Conrad, again. It is. Hello, me, Conrad, again. Are you still poorly? I am still poorly. A few days That's have good. gone by. <laughs> That's good, considering it's like 30 <laughs> seconds since we last recorded. <laughs> <laughs> and you were poorly then. If you'd got miraculously better, or had died, <laughs> either of the two, in those 15 seconds, that would have been nasty. Well, you'd be talking to yourself then as well. I would be, and I hate doing shows on my own. Don't like them at all. Right, so, why the karaoke introduction? Um, because we're doing a karaoke competition on Fool's Daily. Oh, that'd be good. Send in your karaoke. Oh no, what have we done? What have I done? <laughs> oh yes. Send in your karaoke's. What can we give as a prize? I'll g- I know. I will give away a Joe March Infamy Bust. Is that from For a- the best karaoke? Is that from a woman? No. Okay. Well, it, it is of a woman. It's of Joe March. Who's a character from Infamy? Oh, okay. I thought she was a model. Oh, yes. Best, send in your best karaoke's. Brilliant! What an awesome idea. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, Connor. Well done. Should we talk about um, Dead Man's Chests then? All right then. We'll talk about Dead Man's. So chests. what's what's Dead Man's Chest then? All right. So you know how I love pirates. No, do you love pirates then? Oh, this is going to be a long show. <laughs> Go on, then. Yes, you, I know how you love pirates and gangsters and superheroes and... Yeah, OK, okay. There's, no, there's no need to go on. <laughs> right, so I love pirates. I keep badgering um, Carl at open combat um, to add pirate, you know, to add some piratical rules to open combat. But... I was thinking about pirates the other day, and in the bath or not? No, I wasn't. It wasn't in the bath actually. Um, and I had one of those blips of inspiration. I was worried. I sometimes worried about what you were going to say then. <laughs> no, that I sometimes have. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily a very good inspiration, but it was an inspiration. And I was thinking about pirates, and I was thinking, what's the most cinematic rule set that I know? And the most cinematic rule set that I know, the one that always has me thinking about the entire game in the form of a movie, is Dead Man's Hand. And Dead, something Man, about... Dead Man's Hand is the Wild West game from Great Escape Games, isn't it? Yes. Yes. For those who don't know what it is. But they should do, because there's been loads of... Everyone's listened to the archive, right? It would only take you four days, continuously, continuously, to listen to the archive. So go get caught up, and then when you come back, you'll know who what Devan's hand is. 
Yes. Anyway, Dead Man's Hand. It, yes. And it is... I've only played it one. No, I've played. We played some link scenarios, didn't we? Yet? Yes, that, that's the whole point. Is that one game of Dead Man's Hand is three different scenarios, and it was very. As soon as you put those cowboys down, the spaghetti western music is playing in your head. There is yep. something about that game, uh, yep. and I've only played it a handful of times. Um, there is something about cowboys and quick draws and facing off against the goodies or the baddies at the end of a street in a town. So I can completely... Or somebody being shot from a balcony or building and the body sort of ham-acting ham, ham stuntman drops, yep. drops over the building to the floor sort of thing, you know? Or being shot with a shotgun and blasted back yeah. 20 yards. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it it lends itself... The way the mechanisms work and everything for that game lends itself to cinematic gaming. Okay, I, I can identify with that. And so I thought, how about if you made a pirate's version of Dead Man's Hand? But that sounds foolish. Well, it wouldn't be the first time. Plus, this is Fool's Daily. Well, it's not Which... Foolish Daily, then, is it? So no, I don't see any surely, fool... surely fools are being foolish. Potentially, yeah. Oh, gee, you are <laughs> such hard work. <laughs> I'm going to get a cow prod, come over your house. Oh, I've already got one. It's in this cupboard with uh, manacles and things. No! Oh, TMI, TMI. <laughs> anyway, yes, I kind of, I do agree with you, because uh, it, I mean, when were we, t- Spoons was talking, did you talk to Stuart from GC? When, when did you find out about the gangster game? Oh, it was, it was yeah, with Stuart, was, wasn't it? That was, was with Stuart, yes, yeah, Stuart. And it lends itself to that sort of that sort of idea of you know the cinematic feel to stuff, yes. you know. So pirates, um, what's his name? The classical pirate black and white films, Little Moustache, Errol Flynn. Yeah, bad case of whatever he had, um, <laughs> disease. Um, yes. Yes, classic swashbuckling. So yes, I can I can see that. But then, how do you make Dead Man's Hand work with pirates? Ah, I'm glad you asked that. So the other day, spoons came over the house, and we went through what you had to do, and we reckon that you only have to change a few things in it to make it work. Uh, one, you check, obviously. The gangs, or at least the names of the gangs and the abilities that the gangs have, change. Mm-hmm. Um, and the scenarios change, because the scenarios are obviously cowboy-related, and you want to make them western-related, and make them pirate-related. So, but there are the asides. The, the, the core mechanics, we think you only need to change two things. One is the weapons, because obviously... Dead Man's Hand is built around six shooters and rifles and things. And if you're playing pirates, you just don't have those. You have flintlocks and mu- and muskets. And, um, you know, you have to be able to have a knife thrower. You, I'm doing actions while we're talking. <laughs> you know, you have to have a pirate who can throw knives or belaying pins. You know, those wooden pins yep. that they throw yep. and they, they clonk you on the head and there's a comedy sound effect and you fall over. They look like uh, wooden tin pins, don't they? Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. So you, you need you need that you need to be able to do those. So that's one thing. The other thing that and the thing that epitomizes pirate movies. Well, no, sorry. The two things. There are two things that epitomize pirate movies. The second one Pirates is do. sorry. Pirates epitomize pirate movies. We actually did come up with a rule for adding parrots. <laughs> the, se- the second one is there's always a scene in a pirate movie where someone fires a cannon into a group of people. <laughs> you know, you're chasing around the corner, there's someone with a cannon, grinning maniacally, lighting the fuse. So you have to be able to have the idea of larger weapons that can get used. So, you know, a cannon, a, a swivel gun, that sort of thing. Yep. And then finally, you've got to be able to do sword fights. Yep, absolutely. So we spent a long time on Wednesday working out rules for sword fights. And you wanted something that plays quick. You want something that plays quickly, but gives you the the idea of the back and forth. If you look at a cinematic sword fight, you know, there's a lot of back and forth, there's a lot of fancy moves and clanging of blades and, you know, there might be a, where they lock the blades, you know, and they're up against each other's faces and they have a bit of dialogue and stuff. There's always that classic moment where they uh, step on the loose plank and it goes, bang into their face as well. Yeah. But you also have, um, sometimes they'll, they'll do a fancy move and take an epaulette off a, a coat or something, yep. or just scar them down the face. So you had to you had to be able to get that sort of thing in in a game that plays very quick, that is playing very quickly, and it's not three four minutes to resolve a sword fight. So what we did is we basically scrapped we've scrapped the hand to hand combat section of the rule book, and we came up with this idea for sword fights. So we have the swashbuckling deck. Mm-hmm. Which is a which is a deck of it's a, so it's a deck of cards, and in the swash in the swashbuckling deck there are you know things like thrust, parry, repost. Poise, pause. So as I was saying before, uh, Conrad's phone rang. You have your swashbuckling deck, dun, dun, dun! and your swashbuckling deck is full of um, cards like thrust and parry and riposte and then it has a few special cards like finesse and finish him does and does these come with sound recordings as well these cards or not no they don't is there an octo monkey card there is not an octo monkey there should card. be there should be there should be no, a, no, a card in there no, that op- says squid attack octo monkey all hands no, to the because... deck squid attack no, because that's not a, a swashbuckling thing. That would be a scenario thing. Sorry. Do you want me to explain? You're going to have a squid not? squid scenario. They, Maybe they see creatures. Anyway, carry on. Yes, hunt the kraken. Yes. Can I carry on now? Yes. Or do you not want to no, hear? I about don't it? want to hear about it. it is, no, you it don't is, want to hear about it. You don't it's care. Quite exciting in terms of uh, the fact that, especially companies like Black Scorpion, have got such great pirate figures you know yeah but don't put them in paint stripper. No. and the and the uh I, I want to ask about boarding and ship to ship combat and things like that but you're you're talking about the uh the pirate deck first okay so you have the swashbuckling deck yep um how many cards are so you in? Do you, sorry? how many cards are you looking at in there at the moment 
21. Okay. Is that the same as the... Dead no. It isn't. Okay. No. No. So, so it's important to note, in Dead Man's Hand, each player has a deck of cards. Yep. Um, and you deal those cards out um, to determine the initiative of when you activate your models, and also they have effects on that you can play, so you have this control hand, effectively. Um, none of that mechanism changes. The de- what the wording on the cards would change yep. um, to reflect pirates instead of um, cowboys, but that mechanism still remains the same. Now, this is an extra deck of cards, the swashbuckler deck. So each player has a swashbuckle deck. Um, the play, if the player whose go it is is within um, an inch of another model, they can say, we're going to attack them. Um, so we're going to have a sword fight. Swashing so of the buckling. We are going to swash and buckle. So swashbuckling uses all three of your action, your model's actions. Mm-hmm. And what you do is you shuffle your swashbuckling deck and you deal three cards off the top. You don't look at them. You deal them face down. Okay. Your opponent does exactly the same. Okay. You can then pick up your cards and look at them, and you decide which card you want to play. So say I've got a thrust. Okay. And so I'm going to play thrust. I'm going to thrust forward with my sword. And you, my opponent looks at his cards, and he has a parry. So he decides, oh, he's probably going to attack me. I'll play a parry. So you put your cards face down, and then you both reveal your card. And on the design of the cards is basically there's a a symbol for what the action is, mm-hmm. and we haven't designed the symbols yet because you know we've only had a couple of days. Um, and then, but underneath the card, so then so there's a symbol, and then there's a little description of you know you lunge forward with your sword trying to pierce your opponent's body, that sort of thing. And then underneath there's a um, if you there's a basically a little matrix. Um, it's done slightly more graphically, so you, it's not you don't have to cross-reference. You basically, you've got your card, you're playing Thrust, you look down um, your card, and you see your opponent is playing a parry, mm-hmm. and then there'll be an effect. And that's what happens. So if you play a Thrust against a parry, nothing happens. Yep. F- nothing happens for you. Your opponent has played a parry, he looks at his card, and he sees you're playing a Thrust, and it will again say nothing happens. So nothing happens in that first thing. So you can, you know, that you've thrust forward and he's parried your blade away. So then you do the same with the second card. So this time I'm going to play a slash. Ha! So I've thrust you and I've slashed. But my opponent plays a riposte. And obviously you're playing these blinds, so you don't know what your opponent you're yep. doing. So a slash against a riposte, um, you do some damage to him because. Uh, I think it's a damage a little minus and so basically then you roll a a 20 sided dice which is what Dead Man's Hand does and you look at the damage table and so I roll a I don't know a 13 which is you take what in um, Dead Man's Hand language is a nerve marker so basically you get a marker on you and if you accumulate too many markers then that model's removed as a casualty but you can shake markers off. So it's not it's basically breaking your opponent's nerves. So you got you got slashed. Ah but because my opponent played a riposte, he looks at his card and he sees he gets to make a damage roll on me. So you can be attacked you even though it's your turn, you can still get damaged if your opponent plays the right card combination of cards. Yeah, okay. 
So he's reposted. Ah! And he stabbed me in and he rolls and he gets a 15. So I take a nerve marker as well. So basically I've slashed him with my cutlass, but he's stabbed me back. Um, and then you play the third card and then that's the end of the, t- the uh, that's the end of that expression. Now playing those cards, um, even though we were looking, we had to, because we don't have the card designed yet. We, we know how it's going to look. We just haven't made them. We, so we have a mate, we had a matrix. And so we had to go uh, do the lines along and up and down. <laughs> Even doing that, it took us 30 seconds to play a combat. So that sounds a little bit like the Wrath of Kings card lookup type thing. To certain extent. It is, looking, the design of the cards is definitely like that damage track. The mechanism obviously isn't, but looking at the cards and having that information. We wanted a way to make sure that all the information is on the card, that you don't have to go to a table. Yep. And so we came up with this design and we think it will work and you have a little symbol and stuff. So, cause there's only eight or nine different actions in the swashbuckling deck. Cause, um, the way you control how frequent things happen is you change the car- number of cards that are in the deck. So I think there's like five thrusts. Um, but there's only one finish him. Um, so, you know, there's an element of randomness on what comes out. Uh, but you can try things. And then what you do, then what happens is because there are different character levels in um, the game, yes, you know, each gang right. has different level models. That actually determines how many cards you draw, even though you're only still going to play three. So your boss might draw five or six cards. So have a bigger range of cards to choose from. Yeah, okay. Even though he's only, whereas if you're, you know, the deck, the deck hand, he might only get two cards. So one of his moves, one of the moves can't, if can't be stopped, it will just happen because you know he's rubbish. And so that gives you the swashbuckling, and it really does have the feel of it because because you can see it in your mind's eye as you're playing the cards. Ah, I try parry you, and then you have things like finesse. The finesse move is the the slicing off of the epaulets and stuff, and it just automatically makes you make a nerve test. Oh, he has sliced me! Ah! Shall I fl- shall I run away? That sort of. So thing. You, you've done the combat system. <clears throat> yes. Um, I'm guessing that the the idea of the game, when as you as you sort of flesh it out as such, will be. The same sort of thing as Dead Man's Hand. It'll be episodic, episodic scene, yep. linked scenes, as it were, to the, yep. to the whole sort of event. What we're, what, we're aiming, what we're aiming to do is have... We're going, it's going to be a series of blog articles, basically. Um, and we're going to, you know, this is what, this is what you... Repl- replace page 27 of the Dead Man's Hand rulebook with this. Throw away the whole of the close combat section and replace it with this. And here is the deck of cards for you to print out and play with. Here are the four gangs. We've got four gangs that we're going to start off with and do the cards for. Um, what are they? I can't remember what they all are off the top of my head. Scurvy dogs, um, privateers or gentlemen pirates, um, the Royal Navy... And what other? I think the, I think we had something down, but I think we might actually change the, the one that, to be undead pirates. That'd be good. Um, or you know, fantastical pirates or something. I don't know what we'll call them. 
and then we and then we're going to have one set of scenarios, which is basically um, going to be a based around uh, you know the scene in Pirates of the Caribbean where um, they escape, where Sparrow is escaping and he's running through the streets and stuff, yep. and then he yep. eventually gets to the ship and he sails off in the ship. Um, that's what we're going. That's what it's going to be based on. So it'll be land, a land-based scenario. And the reason it's a land-based scenario is because there aren't rules. There aren't, we want to keep it as close to Dead Man's Hand as possible to make it accessible. Yep. Um, and ship-to-ship combat is a completely different thing. Obviously, you could do a scenario where the ships themselves are effectively stationary or a terrain. I don't want to, at least at this point, go the whole hog and have ship-to-ship fighting. Does that make yeah, sense? Just, just you want it so that, as you said, it's accessible to people so they can pick it up and enjoy it and play it and potentially yeah. provide feedback as well. But I'm guessing yeah. that, you know, as an ultimate aim, the the boarding and the swinging of ropes from ship to ship and things like that oh, are, yeah, is no, where no, you're no, going no, as well. That's where you, yeah. I mean, and maybe you'd do that as a scenario pack. Yeah. But I mean, the whole the whole thing with it is, it's, you know, it's basically so I can play pirate games. Um, I mean, that's what we're going. That's what we're doing it for. Is so that there's a few there's a few other people who like playing pirate games. So, okay, let's just knock up a rule set for playing pirates. And you know, twenty years ago, people did this sort of thing all the time, but you just never heard about it. Because there was no Tintinet. Yeah. Well, you know, they were just ha- it's effectively house running. Well, now we've got the Tintinet, and I can sit on this podcast and I can go, ha ha, dead man's chest. But in reality, it's just the same. You're just making house rules for your mates. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so that's basically what we're going to do. Um, is just knock it up and then maybe make some laser cut pirate ships. So uh, I'm, <laughs> I actually think that. Uh... Things like Ogam and um, Fistful and these sorts of games like that are potentially helping you to break out of the here's a set of rules, this is how I play the game type thing and, and starting to do things like this a little bit more. Um, and which is, which I, is going back to you know when there weren't rule sets around and then when you yeah, used to make up yeah. stuff. I think that's definitely partially it. I think the other bit of it is that I've got gaming friends who are open to that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I thought it was quite interesting. Um, it was quite interesting playing Ogam with Joel. Yep. Last weekend. Um, because it's a much more open type, ah, uh, yeah, that looks fine sort of rule set. And it was interesting watching someone Joel's first experience with playing that rule set and getting that wide-eyed excitement. Oh, okay, it doesn't really matter. I can just push them around, yeah. sort of stuff. Um, and it was the same when I met you at Salute and you were with Nick and Nigel. And, um, you know, the first questions that Nick and Nigel were asking me about Ogam were... Was what's the base sizes and what's the frontage? Yep. 
Well, there isn't any base sizes and there isn't any frontage because it makes no difference to the game. Which is, <clears throat> which is true. But uh, you, you, these are standard sorts of questions that come from gamers they... because we want... Uh, this is going back to a previous episode where we were saying that we want a sort of complete set of rules that covers all situations. And but no, ah, but yeah, you see, and you see, this is this is where I think the, the crux of our argument, the, our difference is, is I really don't think it matters. Especially, I, in I, this I agree sort with you, Mike. Game. I do agree with you. It doesn't yeah, matter. I think, but it's it's interesting seeing players coming from yes. more rigid systems are automatically looking for that sort of thing. It was one of the things I found interesting reading through the um, Darklands rulebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell that the authors of the Darklands rulebook have played things like War Machine and stuff because it is full of precise definitions at the beginning yep. and bolded text for those definitions. It's that sort of... I don't want to use the word rigid... Because it's not, it's you know, it's still a fluid game set, but more so structured. I think. I think. Jer- you know, Jervis has held his hand up and said, you know, he'd wish he'd never done tournament, introduced the tournament sort of thing. And I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I think a lot of the games, sorry, a lot of the attitudes to gaming. Um, and games that we play have come from the fact that we, and this was on the back of the um, the rankings episode as well, uh, mm. where I, you know, when you sort of listen back to, well, I don't think you listen back to episodes necessarily, do you? Not very often, no. Uh, I, I often think about stuff that could have been said during an episode afterwards, and I quite like to do, I quite like the idea of doing a follow up episode to X, Y, and Z with. You know, where you sort of go, oh, I forgot to say this, that, and the other sort of thing. But <laughs> that would mean writing things down. But um, <laughs> the the competitive nature of tournaments and events um, drives us to want a reference point for the game that we're playing at that particular time. And we want clarity for the sake of um, efficiency and completeness so that we can get on with playing the game. And that's ultimately what you're looking for in a rule set, uh, is something like, in a competitive rule set, in a competitive environment, that's what you want so that you can get on with the game, get a result, and move on to the next one. Yep. But if you're looking for something a little bit more, then you have to come to terms with the fact that there are not going to be... There are going to be loopholes, basically. There's going to be times when you have to make stuff up uh, or use what's in the rules as a means of developing something to get by in that situation. Um, and I think the beauty of systems like OGAM, which is, you know, once I get my stuff up and running and having a game and potentially playing with other people at the club, then mindsets of people will change. And I, I think that we are seeing a set, a change in, in mindset. And I think, you know, going back to the rankings discussion, which is completely off topic to, to Dead Man's Chest, who, who guessed, um, uh, is the, is the fact that not everyone's in this same place of wanting to rock up and have a competitive game. They, they want, they want to go and have a game basically. You know, 
if that makes sense. They want to be able to feel... I was playing Kalodi yesterday at the club um, and the guy I was playing, he's got a lovely Kalodi crew, he's done that conversion with the, the pub Kalodi and the puppet sort of stand. Yeah. He's, he's made some of his own stitched uh, and they look they look creepy. Um, is, is the paintwork on some of the, the, the wicked dolls and everything. Is, but the whole thing it, evokes a narrative just from the visual point of view. And then you've got Seamus there sort of saying, hello there, and popping out from the shadows trying to blow stuff up. And it, the whole game itself lends to a, a narrative experience as well. So pirates... You know, yeah. we've got so you've got so much reference material there from from certainly from a visual point of view from films, and uh, it's got to be a winner, basically. Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm looking forward to at least playing a few games of it, and you know, we'll we'll put some effort into it, and then just stick it out there. Well, all I can say is good luck. Well, thanks. And uh, but it's not. And, it's not. It's not like. Uh, you got um, anything else to do? Well, I do, but um, it's not like uh, I need it to be a financial success or make it into a real game. <laughs> <laughs> but doing something for yourself is good, you know. It is. Which it, it takes is. me back to the days when uh, I used to play. I think it was third or it was fourth edition, I think, and we had linked narrative campaigns, and the games had a meaning, you know. As opposed to just putting, rocking up and putting your stuff across the table and trying to, trying to win. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, I, I actually think that's a very interesting topic. I mean, it's, you certainly see it, um, at a lot of clubs. It's tournament practice or let's get a, you know, a tournament type game in and stuff. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm at the moment. Getting my, uh, I've mentioned it before, I'm getting my gaiters ready for the Welsh Open. But along with that, uh, and this is this is a, uh, a personal thing, I don't want to be, I don't want the, the gaming experience to be a completely uh, waste, complete waste of time for me. So, which means that I have to invest some time in playing with the gaiters to at least get used to playing with them in terms of you know what the stuff does and stats and then and then I can apply that to the puzzle of the actual hordes and war machine uh, steamroller scenario yeah. that, we're, that I'm in um, part of me doesn't want to do that because of the fact that I've been enjoying myself playing so much with Relic Knights and Wrath of Kings and I've got the Guild Ball stuff that I'd love to make up to just have a couple of games at the club yeah but but the other part of me is that for me to enjoy that experience at the Welsh Open, the social side is a given, uh, but I'm going there to play two days of games. So, and that is quite a long time, you know, out of the weekend. And I want to be able to spend that time enjoying the game as well. And I, and that doesn't mean just turning up with an army and going, oh, what does it, what does this do? Because, yeah. So I'm having to do that, but I am begrudging it because. There's, there's other things, things there's other shinies that I want to play that I'm getting a more positive hit out of, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Anyway, I've, probably run a, I've already moved on to, I've already moved on to the next new we've thing. We've probably run about 45 minutes now. Yeah. Uh, I think we're, I'm doing uh, post-apocalyptic gaming. 
Yes, I've looked. Some of the figures are nice. I love the idea, um, but I've got. I can't play. I can't play everything. Can't play everything. So no, no, you can't. I also realised that um, I might not need my Persians either. My fifteen mil impetus Persians, not Persians, um, Greeks, Macedonians, yeah. because um, I've got a fifteen mil. Barbarian army from Copplestone. And I might be forced to use those. Ah, barbarians! Big swords. I have been told that, the, that uh, uh, because I'm friends with Dave Toon, my War and Conquest gaming buddy, that yeah. uh, the November War and Conquest event will be Dark Ages. But it will be 28 mil, I'm guessing. So I might be seeing if I can, if it doesn't clash with the uh, nationals. nationals, which I still have to pay for as well. Uh, you uh, I might, um, I might see if I can borrow his Anglo-Saxon army and go along there. But there you go. Anyway, pirates. Why are pirates called pirates? I don't know why a pirate's called pirate. Because they are! They are. <laughs> and on that, I've been Mike. And I've been Long John Conrad. <laughs> you bloody wish you had a long job. <laughs> Bye! You can contact Fools Daily on Twitter, we're at Fools Underbar Daily, or via email, foolsdaily at outlook.com.